Welcome to Is This Real Life? A Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you're doing well. It's been a little bit of a hectic week in my household in that I was still struggling with COVID. And then my dog Stassi's been getting sick. And it turns out that she had Giardia, which triggered her inflammatory bowel disease. But uh, like my dad says, how else would we know she was Jewish? (laughs) So, yeah, it's been a lot of sickness in the household, but we are both uh, getting to be on the mend. There's so much that went on this week in Bravo, and I am very excited about this week's episode because I have Dan James, who's been on the podcast before, and he is just so brilliant, and we go so deep into the psyche of these women and why they behave the way that they do. And it is just an absolutely fascinating listen. Before we get to my conversation with Dan, I did want to share some thoughts on Southern Charm and the Real Housewives of Dubai. So on this season of Southern Charm, I feel like, well, it's this season and last season, I feel like it's really lost the element of charm and that very few people on the cast have any charm whatsoever. And it's especially jarring to watch Shep and Whitney, who are in their 40s and 50s, behave as if they're these like guys who are 22 and we're supposed to think it's cute. And it's it's not cute. It's pretty concerning. And I know like Shep has been known to be a bit of a jerk. And we saw the video that he released himself of him just berating this this homeless man who had a bunch of cans. I don't know if you guys remember that. And he was on a bit of an apology tour after that. But I don't know that he fundamentally changed. Like, there's something wrong with him where he thinks he is higher than other people. And he's just so painfully selfish that it's it's tough to watch him interact with other human beings. And we're watching his relationship kind of fall apart with this lovely girl, Taylor Ann Green, who... I think, found herself falling in love with a man who will just never grow up and never put anyone before himself. And it's just, it's, I don't know, it's kind of sad. And I guess next episode, he like yells at her and it sounds like he's been sort of verbally abusive. And I think it's going to be painful to watch. What is interesting is that of all these people, it appears that Craig is the one that's actually matured a bit, where he sort of found himself. He's been really honest about his experience on the show, off the show, um, in his book, which I didn't read, but you know, he outlines his very severe Adderall addiction. And Naomi has then since done interviews that said that was really the primary, one of the primary reasons behind their breakup is that he would stay awake for days on Adderall and he would be up all night sewing, but then he wouldn't do the things that were on his to-do list that he was supposed to do 
often for the both of them. And it just was very difficult for her. And he was just kind of strung out all the time. And, and I think it's interesting, he kind of tries to rewrite the relationship a bit this season where he's like saying, hey, Naomi, you left a loving relationship for an asshole who cheated on you. And that's true. But it was a loving relationship that had a lot of problems also because of Craig. But it does seem that he really has found his life partner in Paige. For whatever that's worth, he seems to very much um, love her and he seems to be open and honest with her. And I don't know, I feel like he's kind of outgrown maybe the show. He's definitely outgrown most of his friends on the show. And then this episode, we see him call out all the guys for constantly treating him like a punching bag for the first, I don't know, seven, eight se- like seasons of the show. And he's like, hey, now that I'm successful, now that I'm in a great relationship, now that I'm doing well, like, I don't know, he doesn't think they're really happy for him. And he, I think, is resentful for how how he was treated. It's really interesting that they're also trying to make Naomi the new Cameron and that she's narrating everything and trying to kind of be someone who ties everything together. But she doesn't have the it factor that Cameron Eubanks had. She just doesn't. She's not as charming. And I like Naomi just fine. But without Cameron, this show is just not as enjoyable to watch. Um Naomi, this episode, we find out she made out with Whitney. And I feel like that is so calculated because he's an executive producer on this show. And she was working her way back to being on the show after being off for a season. And it's essentially telling everyone in the cast to go F themselves when she moved to New York City with her ex-boyfriend. And she's kind of groveling back to them. And I think she wants airtime. And I wonder if her and Whitney hooking up have any, I don't know, has anything to do with the fact that she's narrating the show. Because she was off a season. Why is she the one narrating? And why aren't they switching off who's narrating? It's just her. So... I don't know. I feel like it's a bit a bit calculating. Um, so I don't know if you guys are enjoying the season. I'm enjoying it enough, but it's just, I don't know. I, I, I'm looking forward to the next few episodes because I feel like there's all this stuff that goes down between Leva and the cast. And I just can't imagine exactly what it is because she seems to be getting on with everyone so well now. Um, on the show. So it's like, what happened that led to this huge blow up? Because, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. In terms of the Real Housewives of Dubai, I thought this was one of the best episodes that they've had yet. We see the tension between Chanel Ayan and Carolyn Stanberry that, according to an interview that Chanel did with Vulture, this started before the show. Chanel basically accuses in this article Carolyn Stanberry of trying to persuade Chanel Ihan not to do the Housewives show before it started filming. And it sounds like they share a close friend, which is um, kind of how they know each other and knew of each other. But I feel like... Carolyn Stanberry is very short-sighted. If she wants 
this show to be successful, then Chanel has to be on it because she is the most watchable person I've seen on television in quite some time. She's got that it factor. And Stanberry has been on social media the last few days, you know, saying, where does she get her money from? Where does she get her clothes from? We're all covering for her. I'm telling you, I don't think that most people who watch the show care where she gets her money from or care where she gets her clothes from. It's definitely not something that she spends a lot of time talking about. But this episode, we kind of see that they do have a tendency to talk past each other. I do think there is something triggering about Stanberry for Chanel, and I think there's something very triggering for um, Chanel about Stanberry. I think it's just, I don't know, and I want to see them work it out, but I, I don't know, I'm very worried that the reunion appears to be four against two. It always works better when it's three on three. So I'm a, I'm a little nervous. Now, what was by far the most um, compelling and heartbreaking part of the episode is when Chanel Ayan goes to see a hypnotherapist uh, who then asks her about her childhood. And Ayan opens up about uh, experiencing female genital mutilation, something that I don't know if I've ever seen discussed on a Western television show. And it was such a powerful moment to both hear how it happened, how it impacted her life, how it continues to impact her, and just to shine a light on the fact that unfortunately this practice continues in many countries around the world. And it's just, it's so heartbreaking. And there's various types of FGM. And I think the most kind of severe is was what she experienced where they cut her and then they tied, they, they closed her up. So she actually did not have, and I know this is graphic, a vaginal hole um, so that she was forced to be a virgin. Um, it's a, It's a horrible thing that had to happen. And you know, when she, before she got married, she had a surgery to kind of open it up, but it cannot correct what has been done to her. And I feel like I understood why she is the way she is, why she dresses how she dresses, because she's taking control of the things that she can and how she presents herself to the world. And she's rewriting the narrative. And it also reminded me so much of what I've learned from public health and medical anthropology, especially as it relates to the patriarchy and the treatment of women, in that it breaks my heart, but so many women uphold these practices. And to hear that it was her aunt and her grandma who took her at age five to another village to have this happen when her mother didn't know I mean, it was her aunt and her grandma, two women in her family that should be watching out for her. But they believed, they believed that this was the right thing to do. And so they did it. And it's just so much needs to change. And, you know, there's there's horrible practices that happen all over the world and including in this country, how we treat our girls, how we treat, you know, there's there's so much, but it was so powerful. And I'm so glad 
that she opened up about it because it's just it's not talked about enough and and it should be. So I'm going to include a link in the show notes um, if you guys are interested in learning more about female genital mutilation and what the United Nations is doing to fight it. Um, I'm going to include that there. One more thing on The Real Housewives of Dubai. I find Sergio endlessly annoying. He is like a child. He knows nothing about anything. And I actually find it infuriating the kinds of things that he says. And then Carolyn Stanberry acts like it's cute, like, oh, you know, he doesn't understand how the reproductive system works and he doesn't know how babies are made and he doesn't know anything about anything. And I'm just going to marry him and tell him that we're going to have a child. And it's like, what are what's wrong with something is up with them? Like, it just doesn't feel healthy to me. The fact that she can't go away for a couple days without him coming, the fact that she thinks it's fine for him to just show up on a girl's trip and then, you know, saying, oh, this is what it's like to be pregnant and putting fruit and melons and taping it to his body. Like, I don't know, just it's it's not cute. And it's alarming to see someone who is going to be undergoing an IVF process know literally nothing about how it works and what it means for his wife and her health and the health of a potential future baby. And it's just, I don't know. I don't find it cute. And I don't find him attractive. Every time he talks, he just looks dumber and dumber. And it's, I don't know. It's like he's a 12-year-old to me. Like, anyways, (laughs) I don't know if anyone else feels that way. But when I first saw him, I was like, ooh, he's cute. He's a Spanish footballer. And then he opens his mouth, and he's just so dumb that it's just like not attractive in any way, shape, or form. I don't know. Those other husbands are way cuter. Ugh. Anyway, um, I hope you guys enjoy this week's episode. I think you guys are going to love Dan James. He's just so brilliant, so funny, and has so many amazing theories about why the women act the way they do on these shows. As always, if you like the podcast, go ahead and give it a five-star rating and leave a kind review. If you have any feedback, constructive or otherwise, you can reach out to me in DMs. I'm at Mandy Slutsker on Twitter and Instagram. I always like hearing from you. All right. Hope you all have a great week. We'll take a quick break and then back with Dan. Hi, everyone. I am here with Dan James. He is a comedian based in Toronto, but originally from the UK. So you might notice his accent isn't that of a Canadian. Um, He also has a lot of expertise in health communications and a PhD where he did delve into some reality television. So welcome back to the podcast. Dan, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to come back and to get such a wonderful intro. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, it's always fun to chat with you. I wanted to just dive in real quickly to Beverly Hills because I feel like this season, the entire franchise, but this season seems to be almost like an experiment of social science. 
in some way. Stanford prison experiment. <laughs> it's like, what is happening? And the viewers seem to be rather aligned in how they're viewing it, but the mm. women on the show seem to be experiencing such vastly different realities. Like, what do you make of this season thus far? Well, I will say, first of all, delusion is like a key element of a successful housewife. They all have to have a bit of it. Right. And I think, I think this, the cast they have this year, it's incredibly satisfying and engaging to watch because your allegiances kind of change and none of them are, are completely perfect, I think. Even, say, like Garcelle, who is generally sort of the straight man figure, where we're like, she speaks sense. She still is very good at producing stuff and kind of stirring the pot when it comes to bringing up conversations about, like, Erica's quote-unquote drinking problem. Um, and so I think the fact that none of them are perfect and 100% likable and how some of them, for example, like Kathy supposedly says like heinous, horrible things. And also, I mean, we've seen her say heinous, horrible things. And then sometimes like in the last episode, she'll be the one doing the homeless, not toothless, toothless, homeless <laughs> thing, which is just comedy gold. And, yeah, it's, I'm loving it. It's less dramatic than last year. That was like the real time, like legal meltdown of Erica Jane, but watching them try to basically uh, steer the narrative around that and then the call for kind of realizing that their grip on the show is crumbling is fun to watch. It, it, I'm so excited for this reunion because mm. I know Andy is going to give him a hard time. I know Garcelle and Sutton are studying up. I think Crystal's yeah. going to come guns blazing after what she saw people were saying about her. I am, yeah. I am so ready. As a sidebar, as someone originally from the UK, yes. do you know any background on PK? No, nothing. He seems like a scammer. He has such like scammer energy, and I do not know how he gets these like genuine ce- genuine celebrities into his orbit. Like, how did he convince Melissa Etheridge to turn up at his house? I uh, think he held her hostage. <laughs> <laughs> held her hostage in that tiny little room. Was just it to was Lisa Rinna yell at people before she comes so on. So awful. But when he was talking about investing into a new stock exchange with his real estate company Ooh. and its crypto-based blockchain, I'm like, Ooh. that is a bunch of mumbo jumbo. You're that is just... money laundering. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And it was Crystal's husband Rob asking questions, and he's so earnest and just. The juxtaposition of Rob with PK are just two different types of men. Well, it's Rob um, has a real job and actual money. So, yes. And that he (laughs) earns. The crux of the differences. Right. And doesn't, you know, flash it around in the way that you think maybe someone would. I mean, that's how you can tell people are genuinely incredibly wealthy because they're not flashy about it. Like, they don't have anything to prove, right? Like, right. Kathy, if you didn't see her house, the way she, like, appears in scenes, and it's just, just, like, kooky, weird old woman. So that is the energy of a genuinely, like, rich, privileged person that is not trying to, like, flash around how wealthy they are just because she has been that wealthy for such a long time. Um, but, yeah, PK is, like, a real enigma. I still don't know what he does or did. 
I think he was bankrupt at one point. He was. And it was like the 2008, 2009 when like the whole world, you know. Okay. Everyone was bankrupt then. Yeah. Like <laughs> recession. Something. It was something was tied to the bank and maybe Lehman Brothers. But basically he lost all of his money and he had made a lot of money in real estate development in London. Mm. And then he went bankrupt. Did he own a football team? I don't. I, that I don't know. I think, I, I think I've heard someone say that. But he just, like, it seems like he kind of changes what he does. Just based on, like, when. randomly taking on, you know, Boy George. Like, yeah, who, client. Well, the whole thing like, is, is so interesting to me. I find him such a fun character for this show. Like, he is yeah. a character that I am invested in, and Dorit is a character I am invested in, and those kids I am invested in. Like, I don't care what kind of scammers they are. I love it. I feel like they, through the years, have evolved from being, like, deeply suspicious, antagonistic figures to now, like, they're kind of lovable, and we, we can tell that they are scamming, and we can tell that they're... Like, they're their scenes they have together, they are such bad actors. Like, they they cannot do any of that convincingly. Though know, when she was talking to him about his DUI and, like, how much you actually drank and you didn't actually drink enough, but I can't believe you didn't tell me. Like His it's police all... encounter, in quotes. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that because he wasn't officially booked with a DUI, she doesn't want to call it that. No. And we're watching the same thing happen with Kim Zolciak Behrman's daughter. I forgot which one. Oh, that it was one Brielle? of the daughters. Uh, no, the, the second one. Is it Ariana? Ariana uh, Brielle. She, yeah, got, I think, arrested for on suspicion of a DUI. I'm assuming she refused a breathalyzer, which... Tell so me that me. means you don't technically have a DUI. But <laughs> suspicion of, yeah, they can yeah. still take your license. Anyways, um, back to this homeless, not toothless dinner. By the way, I did a lot of deep diving into this organization. Oh, yeah? It looks quite good. I know that there are people on Instagram that are trying to find uh, scandals where there are none in terms of like charity navigator and whatever. It's a very it's small. Real? It's real. And it's a very small nonprofit. So they don't have the same kind of auditing that a lot of larger nonprofits do, but they have mm. an extremely small overhead. The only 8% goes to overhead. And that's like unheard of in the nonprofit industry in the US. Well, it just seems like from the way that Dorit sort of casually set her up with her spontaneous scene with her dentist where PK was getting his teeth done. It seems like she just has like one dentist that does like someone's teeth every couple of months. Like it doesn't seem like a huge operation. So it, it's definitely multiple dentists and a lot of okay. dental students. And they specifically focus, they focus on lots of different groups, not only the homeless. They do a lot with um, veterans. Okay. Um, and yeah, and it sounds like they also try to set them up with housing and things like that. It's, it's, and they actually don't call themselves homeless, not toothless. It, they call themselves H, uh, HNT. Like they don't, I don't think, <laughs> I think it started that way. Like I volunteered with a group called Hips in DC that started out as helping individual prostitutes survive. At some mm. point, the organization decided that that was not an appropriate name. Yeah. 
and it just started to go by hips. And I have a feeling that Homeless Not Toothless is eventually going to go only by HNT. <laughs> it's, it's a shame that they're actually legitimate and do good work. And they also do more beyond like giving underhoused people dental work because it is just, it's such a bad name. It is comically like, it's comically like real housewife, fake charity event. I guess who their sort of celebrity benefactors are. Lisa Vanderbump. William H. Macy and Felicity Huffman. (laughs) Who were, you know, involved in the Uh, college uh, scandal. (laughs) Forgot about that. Uh, Yeah, and Sharon Stone and uh, Dorit are like the other two. Like, it's truly just Dorit and Sharon Stone on the website. I will say it is always such like an unnerving like jolt when you see a real housewife interact with an actual bona fide celebrity. Like when Jamie Lee Curtis appears, like, oh! <laughs> like real famous people. This is people. so chic. This is the chicest <laughs> wind chime I've ever seen. Oh, am- amazing. Hot and cold. Amazing. <laughs> so funny. Okay. Why do you think Rinna continues to blame her grief for why she's going after Sutton? Because I think she had realized, I think in real time of like filming the show, that Sutton was having a decent storyline and would probably have like a, a, a fan thing behind her. People would like Sutton. And I think she realized like, fuck, I need something because I'm going to look bad. And you can't really argue with my mom is dead, can you? I like, can. My mom is dead, and I don't act like an asshole. So, I was gonna say, housewives probably would, but I feel like she's grasping <laughs> at straws to like find a reason for people to not hate her because maybe she's realized that she's gonna come across. She's just, she's just so unlikable, and like this is the problem. I've, I've said this a hundred times, but when you hire soap actresses to appear on reality shows, they do the soap actress thing, like they're they're acting on it. And and sometimes it's great because there's like I think Eileen was amazing. I think we should bring back Eileen. I think she perfectly towed the line of like of, of self-producing just a little bit and bringing in an element of soap actress. She was great. Rinner is just like it's just so transparent and thirsty, and she can't even cry properly on demand. Like that's she's constantly trying to make scenes. I think to guarantee screen time or to get a trailer moment. And she's tried it like two or three times and it's just not working. Like the, the outburst at that home was not too this thing where she was supposedly crying about how she doesn't know how to navigate grief and then yelling at Sutton in her house. Like she's like trying to get a trailer, something or like a clip. Right. right. I, I understand where she's coming from with the grief, but typically, and I could be wrong, but when you are experiencing grief and you act out in anger, you tend to take it out on the people closest to you, usually other people who are experiencing the same grief in a different way. So siblings who lost a parent will bicker with each other over something small, and it's yeah. it's the grief or things like that. You don't go after someone that you're not close to. You don't, oh, you know what she- I mean? It, it's, it's, anyway, okay. Fire her is what I said. Get, I think like her time has come. Get rid of her. She's not add anything, and she's not one. Like I think Erica Jane has a few more seasons left in her because she's no, like I, a good villain. 
I agree. Rinna used to be one of my top favorite housewives because I didn't think she took herself too seriously. And I felt yeah. like she said what no one else would like pointing out things that were not making sense with Yolanda Foster. Yeah. Like, but now she's so hyper focused on the fame, on the fans, on how people will perceive her. And it's not, she's not having fun and we're not having fun watching her. And it's become mm. apparent. Now, I've got to get your thoughts on Crystal. Address, she says, I want to address my eating disorder to all of these women. And how do I, you, yeah. I feel for her and I think she has been nudged into discussing it on camera by, by producers or perhaps by other cast members and she just does not seem comfortable doing it. Like, like, no, no one organically says, like, I want a dinner. Like, I want to address my eating disorder. It's just she's realized that, like, she probably, she posted that one thing, spoke to someone about it, it snowballed, and now she's like, oh, this is production and probably telling her that she needs to talk about it. And she just doesn't, doesn't seem like she enjoys it because it's not a comfortable thing to talk to, sorry, burps halfway through, not a comfortable thing to talk to anyone about, let alone your coworkers in front of cameras. And I think... She she's just very she's just like a normal person that I think is like yeah. too she's too sort of she's too normal for the show like she has genuine sort of like mental health trauma issues that she's quite sort of adept at discussing and like identifying and and she doesn't I think seem willing to mine her and everyone else's trauma for entertainment and that's an admirable quality in like a normal human being as opposed to a real housewife. Right. It was interesting to me that when her and Rob were speaking one-on-one, that he Mm. was also shocked by her post and how he kind of alluded that she doesn't even open up to him. And that made me realize, wow, this is such a deep-seated problem and it's been going on for so long and it's so ritualistic and it's something you do alone. And... I think she feels a responsibility as being an Asian woman to represent Asian women on TV and as being someone who is living with and experiences disordered eating to represent that as well. Like, I feel like she feels a duty. Like, if I'm going to do this show and it's going to cause problems for me in my life, it have to make it worth it for yeah. other people. So I feel like she's doing it a bit more for everyone else. And I think Rob is trying to steer her towards, you need to work on this for you. Mm-hmm. This is about you. This is your issue. And if there's a chance that you have a, you know, it might, yeah, you can address it, then then let's do that. And I loved when Kathy came in with that very like matronly energy just telling her exactly what she needed to hear. And it mm. it made me feel like, wow, Kathy can really step up for friends and give such level-headed advice. And it's just so interesting to see that juxtaposed with her kind of kooky, jokey behavior. Kathy is, she's really compelling television because she oscillates so wildly between someone that seems very like perceptive and emotionally intelligent and someone that just seems like a ditz. And the more you, 
you see her oscillate between the two of them, the more I a see similarities between her and Paris. I'm like, oh, she's actually very intelligent and is good at sort of projecting a character for for entertainment. Um, but B, it then also makes me it it almost highlights the sort of negative, like the bad potential of that, um, like dualism in her, which we then like. The, the thing that she didn't watch, What Happens Live, where she called Lizzo Precious. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and the supposed rumor about, like, whatever might or might not have happened in Aspen. It's, like, this is why I think it, it, it is really compelling television, because you have one moment, if you'll see the scene with her, and you're like, oh, she's actually, like, really emotionally, like, supportive and there for this person that's clearly really struggling. And then the other side, she's a monster. And, like... I'm not saying that we should be uh, glorifying people that do monstrous things or that we should be necessarily rewarding them with screen time and a paycheck. But like, that is what one of the things that makes um, this particular cast like engaging is because they, they change how you feel about them on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just, that's just like engaging to watch because You'd not just sometimes when they have like a solid cast where everyone slips into a role, and I had it with Beverly Hills for a couple of years. You just sort of feel like you're watching something a bit stale, where they're all kind of doing the same thing and running through the motions for a whole season. It gets dull. Um, it was dull for a number of years because there was no one that was willing to go against the grain and the group mm. think. It was like they all had this agreement of what could be discussed, what was off limits, yeah. and. When and then when it came down to Lisa Vanderpump, she did not plead her case. She just disappeared. And mm. so now we've got Sutton and Garcelle who are like, oh, no, 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 no. We're going to plead our case and let you know how we feel. And we're going to set out our sets of facts. And we're going to fight the narrative that you created. Because it doesn't make logical sense. And... I've got to know, like, what do you think these women's issue is with Sutton and then with Garcelle? Is there issue with Garcelle simply because she's friends with Sutton or is there something else going on? I think it's because the two of them, Crystal to a degree, but I think the two of them very clearly don't need the show for different reasons. Sutton does not need the money. Garcelle does not need the fame she is already successful rich recognizable has her own she has her own gigs independent of being a housewife that gets her these things whereas the other women even though lisa renner was like kind of known it's like they're sort of dependent on housewives and so the other the other women like garcelle and stuff aren't as willing to play ball because they're like i don't give a shit like they're not invested in um, carefully crafting their appearance on a television show to protect their future income. For them, it's just like, oh, I, I thought it would be a fun thing to do. Someone suggested the idea, and I was like, okay, why not? But it, that's what's threatening. It is they feels don't need like it. they're being more authentically themselves yeah. than the others. But the women, and by the women, I mean like the Erica, Dorit, whatever, Rinna seemed to think that Sutton takes information 
and carefully decides when to say it on camera, such as the issue where she was asked to be a third party witness Mm. in one of the lawsuits against Tom and Erica and didn't bring it up until she was trying to make a point. Well, first of all, I think any housewife accusing another one of like strategically releasing information is like that's pot calling kettle black. That is what these shows are dependent on. It's like nobody (laughs) has quiet conversations off camera to like, no, you, you get stuff and you put it in your back pocket so you can like get a good scene at a particular time. That's kind of what you're being paid to do is to, to raise things in front of other people and do it with an audience. Um, I don't think she's as, I don't think she's as like Machiavellian as they seem to think she is. I think she's just, I think she's like, too crazy i say crazy as a crazy person (laughs) i think she's just like (laughs) she is too unstable i think to be able to like really calculatedly go around all of that stuff i think she just sometimes just throws stuff out um and i think just the fact that her and garcelle are less willing to kind of close ranks and protect the cast and they're just sort of I think the threat is that they are turning Beverly Hills into a, a different type of housewife, similar to other cities like New York or Atlanta, where the cars actually talk about stuff in their lives and they're actually kind of frank with each other. And there's not a sort of collective effort to keep stuff from the audience. Whereas Beverly Hills for years has been about like giving people a show while also actually avoiding the genuinely juicy parts of for example, like Dorit getting sued a bunch of times. Like, like they're just not agreeing to the sort of unspoken contract of Beverly Hills, which is to close ranks and avoid like damaging information getting out. And I think that sort of the show evolved into that because the first few years were such the opposite. And the first three years was all about these explosive, unexpected, sometimes deeply traumatic and dark events all coming out. And then I think as it went on, the, pe- the, the, the cast that remained basically just resolved to be like, okay, we're going to rein it in now. Like that has done enough damage in terms of like the damage to the Richards family and all that stuff um, that I think that's what they sort of tried to turn it into. And that's why it's, that's why Garcelle and Sutton are directing because they're just like undoing that. Yep. And I think they're going to go after Kathy, too. When Kathy was laughing mm. at Lisa Rinna, the look on Rinna's face, she wants to go after Kathy. Whether or not Kathy actually said something homophobic in Aspen, whether or not, like, they want to go after whoever they can because they feel like everyone went after Erica. And mm. I just, the Erica stuff, she's still has such a victim mentality. It is so mind-blowing to me that someone can be so detached from the reality of, of what is happening to her and what her ex-husband did and what she may have been, like, privy to, like, and also just the general sort of PR basics of how to navigate successfully through that situation. Like, it's like she's using a Trumpian playbook, but she's not Trump, so it's not working. Like, yeah. never admit fault, never apologize, never, you know, that whole thing. But 
it's just not working. She's not likable enough. And mm. she just can't get away with it. And it's just so wild that she's like, when my life was falling apart, when my... And it's just... She is the diametrical opposite of what Dorit's tagline is this year. You could have taken all my Dorit's things... Dorit's tagline. <laughs> and you wouldn't have taken a thing that matters. Erica was only things. She had nothing yep. else that mattered to her. So when her things are gone, she doesn't know who she is. Mm-hmm. And she, it's not like she's presented to us like an, an author. We didn't, we didn't connect with like an authentic person. And then we're not invested in like her well being through what is an undeniably stressful time. What she created was a character literally with a different name, but also a character for television that was very like closed and reserved. And so she can't then suddenly expect her audience to start treating her like a sympathetic, emotionally vulnerable person because we never saw that. And she didn't show us any sort of emotional vulnerability. She still oh. hasn't, I don't think. And and maybe for whatever legal reasons, but I think she's getting poor legal advice. I actually think she's not listening to her lawyers. Because mm. why would you stay on television? And it's, I mean, it's her only income, right? Yeah. But it, the, oh, she's just, it's so infuriating that these women have this, like harem to protect her. Like it's like a, a cult around her and anyone that tries to penetrate, they fight back. And when Sutton points out that, Hey, actually I was, you know, I got a letter from an attorney. Dorit's like, well, you were the only one questioning Erica last year. It's like, Oh, this is what you deserve for asking questions. It's, these women would never survive on any other franchise. And that is a God honest truth. Like, could you imagine them like going on a group trip with the cast of Atlanta? They would get uh, Atlanta. eaten alive. Completely. And I would love, I would honestly love to see it because like, they just need to be, they just need to be like, brought down a peg or two. And I, it is just, it's, it's satisfying to watch them like slowly lose their grip on it, but it's just depressing that um, that the people making this show and casting the show let it go on for so many years that it got to a point where you have cast members that are basically willing to protect each other because that's like not the basis of of a, a of an engaging like show. Even like New York, like some of them are really fucking wealthy, but they will tear each other apart on television and also just talk like talk about everything. Like, could you imagine if one of them did what Bethany did with with telling Luann about the Tom stuff? If that happened on Beverly Hills, like in real time on camera? Oh my god! They w- like Kyle going to Lisa Rinna and being like, "I have proof that Harry Hamlin was cheating on you in Muskoka." The thing is, we're going to get that on Real Housewives of Miami for this coming season. Oh, yeah. And that I am interested in watching because Lisa Hochstein, I think, is a lot stronger of a woman than people give her credit for. Mm. I really do. The way that man has, like, treated her, even, I didn't even really watch the previous Miami. I just, like, picked up, like, through flashbacks how much of a douche he was over the years. But the the way he behaved in like the end of the dissolution of their marriage was it were there other like housewives involved in like her finding out? 
I Is that think what her and Larsa went to a nightclub and he was there with a girl. And it wasn't on camera, but they would talk happened. about it. And yeah, he, the thing is, he's the only person and Bravo in the last, I don't know how many years that I've actually reached out to wanting him to come on my podcast because he is a Soviet Jewish refugee. And my father is a refugee from the USSR. And I wanted to interview him about his experience coming over, even though he was young. Mm. It definitely, especially in those first seasons of Miami, the way that they talk, like he, it's a huge part of who he is and shaped his like life story. But then this all happens and I'm like, because I'm like, well, maybe he's a jerk or maybe it's just TV. Like, who knows? A lot of these husbands come across as assholes on TV. Like, I don't know why. Um, But this one, it'll be interesting. Um, Anything else on Beverly Hills before we quickly touch on Atlanta? Um, Anything on Diana Jenkins? Oh, oh, oh. I'm actually having someone on in like two weeks or three weeks who I think two weeks. Nice to, yeah. Who is going to make the case for why she's good for Beverly Hills. And I have okay. not met anyone else that can do this. So I am, I'm looking forward to for that conversation. <laughs> I will say this is like, there's a lot of backstory to this, but in my teen years, I did encounter, um, I had like friends whose parents were that level of wealth. Okay. Um, mine absolutely were not by any means, but I just happened to have some friends like that. And I would sometimes go to events that were like run by their parents and meet these other people. And so I recognize that degree of like international, like London based hedge fund money. And so like when she came on, was explaining her backstory. I'm like, Oh yeah. And like, I've, I've encountered these types of people. She, first of all, the lips looking thing is just, she got her lips overfilled or she got a lip lift, but it was like badly done. And when you get it overfilled, the, basically what happens is the kind of tissue inside your mouth. That's like, um, it's like mucus is a great word. Yeah. Well, just if you, if you famously (laughs) visual media for podcasts, but if you pull your lip out and you just like feel inside it, it's, it's wet. And what happens is if you overfill your lips, you're pushing the internal tissue like out. Oh. And so that is then coming into contact with the air because it's being like pumped, right? Which is so uncomfortable. Yeah. And so you're constantly licking to rehydrate because it's like, Mm. it's the stuff from the inside of your mouth that's usually like. This is the first time anyone has explained. (laughs) One of my weird party tricks is like. (laughs) <laughs> quite deep knowledge of plastic surgery procedures despite having had nothing done myself <laughs> i love this this is so funny that's so yeah. interesting yeah no she i think is just so used to things going her way and has mm. almost no recollection of her life before the age of 19 she talks about it a lot but she is emotionally distant from who yeah. that girl was and she lives her life as someone who's always had wealth and she Mm. demands and expects things that very few people demand or expect and i think that she wants garcelle to fall over herself for diana the way that everyone else falls over themselves yeah i i do think that someone who was thrown into that level of uh wealth in Europe 
very rapidly. Um, that level of wealth insulates you. And I think it, it, it also puts any of your, how do I put it, um, prejudices in a time capsule. And I think, uh, <laughs> I don't want to get myself libeled by anyone, but I, I think her, her attitudes towards Garcelle are a product of racism, mm-hmm. which I think when you have that degree of money, you are surrounded by yes people, you are paying everyone to never disagree with you or like call you out on anything and the people that you're like socializing with like at that level of wealth because of institutional racism you're socializing with almost exclusively white people and i think that that definitely feeds in to part of her like interactions with herself i'm honest and like i i think you could say the same about a lot of the cast to a lesser degree in the sense that they have just been sort of insulated by their bubble and their social network and their wealth. And you can see it in their immediate defensiveness when Garcelle brings up the fact that race might influence things like in how they interact with her, they get immediately very defensive and basically accuse her of quote unquote playing the race card. I've seen them do it a couple of times um and it's almost like they when they were filming i I feel like they were like okay 2020 will allow her to like talk to us about this stuff and And now they're like okay we're not talking about it anymore like we have one conversation that was it 2020 is over (laughs) like and i feel like that that really does play into a lot of their interactions um with her she also is just much more blunt she'll say fewer words and she'll leave silence, which is just an incredible like interview tactic where you just say, well, like you just you leave silence, you answer yes, no, and then silence and people expect a longer response. And she when she was going head to head with Lisa Rinna, I mean, that gave me like a thrill mm. when she just she was just like, you're telling me to come from love. You know, how do you feel about that, Rena? You know, like that, they're not used to anyone talking back. They have this weird seniority complex. The longer you've been on the show, the more you're allowed to get away with. So Kyle yeah. can get away with the most, then Rena, and, and then Dorit and Erica and everyone else after that. And there's a pecking order and they remind you of it over and over and over. And it's so weird. And I thought it was great where Garcelle mentioned she said that in a, like in that also that weird party where I don't know if it was because it was filmed at the height of Omicron, but it was it just was, them. It was the height of Omicron. So they had all had Omicron like yeah. over a six week period. All of them got it. And I think they during this was all in January. I think they yeah. just and also L.A. County's rules. They couldn't do any sort of big events. So Dorit got it. Um, dinner with Homeless Not Toothless would have been a gala, but they had to pare it down and just do it at her house. Um, and same with Lisa Rinna's, you know, beauty, Rinna yeah. Beauty, it was going to mm-hmm. be this 70s disco theme. Yeah. There's something about... Yeah, so 
Oh, where Garcelle pointed Garcelle. out. Yeah, because Erica was like, well, these so, are the women that are closest to me, so they would like, notice. And that. she's like, I know you say it every other day. And I think that is what makes viewers gravitate towards her because she is willing to draw attention to draw attention to sort of the dynamics of, of, of production and the way the women behave that they have kind of agreed to like not really acknowledge. Like, like they, they won't acknowledge that they are a clique and that it's exclusionary and that anytime anyone joins, like there's a pecking order. They won't say it like that, but like the way Garcelle points it out is very clear. Like, yeah, you keep emphasizing that and you also ostracize people that aren't part of that group. And like, yeah, it that the way she is able to handle these women and clearly through like throw them because they're not used to being responded to so assertively is really fun to watch because there is a lot of power in like yeah, in like brevity and in silence. Mm-hmm. And because she's very clearly not shaken by them, where Sutton, I think, used to be. Sutton was very clearly, like, vulnerable and shaky and, like, emotionally unstable. And you could make her look like she was stressed out. And Sutton has kind of, I think, begun to, like, grow into more of a Garcelle character where she is able to stand her own ground with these women and also just, like, meet them at their own level Mm -hmm. and not have to sort of quantify and keep talking and stuff. I think that is... They, they bring something fresh to the table by doing that. And I really appreciate watching it. Totally. Well, I want to quickly jump to Atlanta because I yeah. do know that you have to go, but I've got some questions for you. Okay. What I don't, un- okay. I have become quite a fan of Kenya Moore. Okay. Oh. Didn't always start, but love her. Right. But what <laughs> is her issue with, not being on time like she is so disrespectful of other people's time and I get she's going through a divorce and I get things keep coming up but I don't understand her and Sheree's issue with missing this iFit shoot and they assume that's like why can't they call production and figure out where they're supposed to be like what I don't get it's a a power play yeah and like packing order right they yes, have it, they I, have one in Atlanta also. But what is different is I think that we resent them less for it because Kenya is so fucking funny mm-hmm. and also acknowledges that like she plays this sort of like messy kind of villain character but also has like a heart to her and brings like humor to like some of some of her interview quotes like in the first or second episode when she talked about Marlo's hair transplant like she was a chia pet <laughs> so it's like this woman just comes up with like zingers so far they all I, do They're, I mean Sheree yeah. is so funny also it like br- just Bravo's casting for for Atlanta is like is fantastic I think the, the newer people that they've hired are just, like, slightly less good at that. I don't know if it's something that you learn by, like, being on camera or if it's just natural charisma and, like, being funny. But just Kenya is so fucking... She's hilarious. I... When I, I first started watching around... The year where Marlo and Eva had the fight on the band in Japan. Oh, my God. That one was good. 
yeah so that, I'm, i was quite like a late bloomer when it comes to atlanta um and kenya like initially i found her to be quite sort of it wasn't fun to watch her be a villain because she was so obnoxious sometimes but when you begin to appreciate the fact that i think she does a lot of the stuff where it's tongue-in-cheek and i just find it less irritating than watching someone like lisa Rinner or carl richards do it Oh, completely, completely. Now, I am not enjoying Marlo trying to do it because <clears throat> it's so manufactured. She's coming up with weird reasons to be mad at Candy that make no sense. She's weird reasons to be upset with Kenya. She's just trying to, like, say mean things to hurt them, but doesn't, like, I don't get why she's upset with them. She's no, not. I... I think she's making it up so that there's conflict for the show yeah she just seems to kind of go for stuff that like seems random and irrelevant in a way that like like, i don't think she does enough outside of those conflict scenes to endear us to her to make up for it whereas i think kenya does enough other stuff outside of when she's in conflict with people that we accept the whole package right Whereas Marlo is just a person that's like, you're not bringing other stuff where we're really like gravitating towards you. And if anything, some of that stuff is like the things that happens with her nephews. It's like, clearly you have a lot of trauma, but it also illuminates that you're a deeply selfish person. Yeah, she just hasn't done work on herself. She's (laughs) experienced a lot of pain in her life, but she hasn't done anything to help um, heal some of that so she can move forward. So she is almost acting as if, like, I, I don't know. I mean, just the fact that she thought viewers and the other women would understand where she's coming from with kicking those kids out. And she used the term kick them out. Yep. She used that term. If you need a break and you say, that's more like a weekend. That's like, you're going to stay with your auntie for the weekend. You're going to visit your cousins and you phrase it differently. The auntie that has a bunch of kids already in what, a two bedroom apartment? Yeah, four kids, two bedroom apartment. We're taking advantage. You're taking advantage of your sibling that has less money and resources than you do. Mm -hmm. And then you're also traumatizing the children who've already been traumatized by like not being able to live with their own mother. Like what I... it's incredibly frustrating, but what I found really interesting is the fact that when she took those women to uh, to that little mini trip, she did exactly the same thing to them. Yeah, she kicked them her, out when it became too response, much for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the slightest bit of like discomfort is to just like not engage with that feeling of discomfort or work through any of it. It's just to push people away, kick them out. And it's, it's like, it's... I didn't know how emotionally stunted she was. I thought she was almost always playing a character just to try and get on TV. But I actually think she's just incredibly stunted. And a lot of people are emotionally stunted, right? All of us are in some way, but hers is so severe that it makes it so that she can't really form genuine relationships with other people. And the show is about watching these women genuinely interact. Now, I don't know about you, but I was never a big fan of Drew Sidora. But she is growing on me as part of this cast. Like, I see where she fits in in this cast. I think she, her her first season, she came across quite thirsty. Mm -hmm. 
and then I think she still did at some points this season, like like with the bone thing. Oh yeah, that's like obnoxious. And like, and, and when you see someone sort of trying, like, does she have the storyline with the prophet? That yes, that, I mean, I think she is as far as all the women on any of these shows, maybe not any of these shows on Atlanta, the furthest away from me in terms of like life views. Yeah. Like she is very misogynist. She's like internalized misogyny and all kinds of things that I think are kind of wacky about her, (laughs) but she, she can be quite likable. And I don't know the, the last, like watching her fall after running and like rupture her Achilles. I was like, that's such a Drew thing to do. She'd already like, and it's just like, why would you do this race? Like you don't just like do something like that without training. I think, this After goes an back injury, to, you know. I know. So, like, what? <laughs> call back to the beginning of the episode, but like the the key element to her housewife being delusion, and she has it. Yeah. But she also is kind of like a Kenya light. Like, I'm not saying she has the same star quality as Kenya, but the the humanness that she has from her like very clearly toxic, awful marriage and the stuff, the shit that she has to put up with with him, which is like horrible. But also the the humor that she like she is funny. Yeah, she gives good interviews, and then so when she gets these thirsty kind of fights, you're like, oh, this is kind of like it's very clearly thirsty, but it's like part of an overall package where you're a ru- you're a rounded character, and mm-hmm. she I think is becoming more rounded as she sort of relaxes into it. Um, Sonia, by comparison, I I'm not enjoying as much. I think she naturally fits with these women almost better than Drew, but. Um, in in the beginning, like in that, I could see her becoming genuine friends with them. I think she's playing the housewives game wrong. I think she's coming on too strong. That may be part of her personality, but um, does she not realize that these vacations are supposed to be fun and not just like, uh, hey, this is where I grew up and this is where I ran track? Like you have to choose one thing. That is your nice. thing, and everything else needs to be group fun stuff. If you wanted to be in Kingston, have the trip be in Kingston. Don't be two hours away from Kingston. Although no one wants to be in Kingston because, like, the best beaches are on the other side of the island. Yeah. But, like, they don't get a chance to be at the beach. I'd be livid if, like, I was, like, in a freaking van or bus, like, waiting for all these people, driving two hours, going to some fucking ice cream shop just because that's where you went as a kid. Like, I'm sorry, seeing where she ran track at that stadium, that was cool, right? Mm-hmm. But Didn't need everything been, else. Yeah, it can't be all of the stuff. I also thought, I thought we got to a point where we had just kind of collectively acknowledged that production pays for these trips. And so it's like, we do less of the, I'm organizing everything and I'm running this because it's like, you're not really, are you? But she, with this one, there's no way they would have been able to get, like, the Minister of Sport without her ties. Like, her name in Jamaica goes a lot farther than the production company's name. And so I do think for this, she was much more involved. But I do think the sort of, it's my business trip where I'm recording content like that, I think is a conceit for the show. But she sort of... But I think you could tell the other one where they're a bit like you're not actually like in charge. Like you can't just yell at us, like do all this shit because like whatever happens, we're going on this trip because production wants us to go on a vacation. 
and she just needs to like yeah i feel like as the season has progressed i have warmed up more to drew and less to her same i do think that with kenya like she was i do think she needs like a lot of hand holding and um as a friend like she needs a lot from people and i don't think she gives what she takes in friendships sanya no kenya and the example being that when Candy was like, well, I think she's going to be late. She, like, didn't eat last night. So then she had to eat this. No one, like, checked in that she didn't eat last night. Like, whose job is it to check in that you have fed yourself? Like, she expects things from people around her to constantly be concerned about her well-being above yep. their own. And at some point... She just needs to take responsibility for herself, for Brooklyn, and that's it. And don't make it everyone else's problem. That's the only issue I have with her. Like, with Brooklyn, and in the beginning, like, she wanted to bring Brooklyn everywhere, and she's a single parent. I get it. She doesn't have help. But you need to create. Like, this is your job, and you need to create some sort of a community. Yeah. I do feel, like, sometimes you see, like, we saw with, like, Nini when she got towards the end of her time on the show it's like they check out and just like refusing to do stuff and she's by no means like neat like at that point but like at some point you have to be like okay reassess like the job on the show is is your priority while it's shooting because that is like your income that's what you're being paid to do and so with everything else you just kind of got to make it work yeah and like i do i do have a lot of empathy for her and i i think like the situation with her ex and her kids has done a lot to round her as a human being, because even though I, we know that she had a sort of the, the fucked up upbringing where was it like her, her mom didn't want to like acknowledge her. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, that's really like dark and traumatic. It's so tough. Because that's all stuff that sort of happened years prior I don't think it has as much weight in terms of humanizing her as seeing something like this happen in real time. Yeah. And also where we can see, like, the fact that she is so sort of, I don't know, like, she's so assertive and, like, confident, and then you see the way that one man can make her, like, shrink. Yes. That really got people on her side. It's like, wow, of all the people to be, like forced sort of to 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 crumble like she, yeah. you can just see Mark her just daily was emotionally abusive but i think oh, she sorry. routinely chooses men who are either emotionally or physically abusive because yeah. she doesn't um and many women don't know like the signs and yeah. once you start seeing a red flag here or there, rather than pulling out, she's like, well, someone finally is showing me attention. Someone cares that much that they got that upset. Like, she gives herself reasons to stay until it became just, yeah, I, I thought she stayed long after she should have. And yeah. she gave him so many chances, and she never wanted to bash him because she wanted to make sure that Brooklyn has a relationship with him. And this story is so compelling as someone who didn't have good relationships with her parents. She cared so much about Brooklyn having a positive relationship with Mark Daly that I think she lets him get away with a lot of shit. Mm. And 
And there's and there's no yeah. easy way to sort of. There's no right answer, right? Uh, like if you want to have your child have a relationship with your ex, there's a lot that you're going to have to swallow and not say and not do and. You know, and I think that's a very relatable thing. I just felt like this episode, she was yeah. very rude and disrespectful of other people's time. And I don't think she would do it to Candy or Sheree, but she definitely had no problem doing it to Sonia. And that was, think, you know, not a good look. Also, if she is in this kind of, I mean, she's, I guess she's not with him anymore, but in this sort of ongoing relationship at a situation where he makes her feel powerless. Yeah. I think her way of navigating through that is to exercise her power over other people. Uh, and over her own schedule. She's like, no yeah, one's going like, to tell it, me I have to be here at 8.30 a.m. I control my life. I will not do that. Yeah. Interesting. I feel like that's her, like, especially kind of in the, like, immediately if she's having, like, a, an encounter with him or, like, some sort of debate through lawyers where he's making her feel powerless and small, the easiest way to regain a sense of power is to just, like, like okay, who's smaller than me that I could just... And she's not, like, going out to crush people, but, like... Not on purpose. Like reclaiming like some a, of her time. It's like it's, it's like a, a survival thing. mechanism almost. Yeah. Because she's channeling it because she can't do it with him. These women Probably are so the- complex. I also wonder... I mean, going back to Beverly Hills and Crystal and her eating disorder, I've and I, I have next week an eating disorder expert coming on. I get to ask her a lot of wow. questions. But one thing I've always heard about eating disorders is a lot of it is about control yeah. and about people exercising rigid boundaries and control. And I wonder if when you're on a show like this and you don't get to choose when you're what you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be somewhere mm-hmm. whether food is served what kind of food is served a lot of the things that you used to kind of have a narrow control on where i know Jackie has been very from um jersey been very open about how difficult it was to maintain her rigid boundaries with anorexia while she was filming i yeah. wonder if like some of stuff triggered crystal and not having a lot of control and like her going back to like, this is what I know to do. Well, you are kind of, you're at the mercy of producers and it's a constant yeah. push and pull and the women that have been doing it for like a decade or longer have sort of figured out that relationship. And, right. and that's why you see them self producing. Cause they're trying to sort of reclaim the degree of control and how the whole thing works. But I think, yeah, if you have a propensity towards, towards food issues, which are so often, a manifestation of a, like a need for control that's it's logically where it would go to if you were yeah. just feeling over like if you were feeling overwhelmed and like basically being thrown into a couple of months where your schedules are determined by other people and you don't know how you're going to appear on camera and like people are trying to sort of surprise each other with like conflict moments it's it's incredibly stressful and it's no wonder that it that it aggravates so many pre-existing sort of mental health conditions that clearly exist in a lot of of the talent totally well this has been such a fun like introspective conversation i love chatting with you dan tell everyone where they can find you where they can see you do comedy and anything else you want to plug yeah uh so you can find me on uh, instagram and tiktok at at dan james comedy um, if you're in toronto you can come see me live i do shows pretty regularly and i post about those on instagram and tiktok um and yeah that's where you can find me well thank you so much for being on love having you love having these like deep conversations we're gonna have to have you back 
And yeah, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I had an amazing time.